We are continuing in Genesis chapter 7. And we're going to pick it up from verse 11. Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. So, it's marking time by, by uh, uh, the age of Noah. Because we know the age of Noah when he was born with respect to his father's life, with respect to his grandfather's life, and it goes right on back to Adam. So the, the, the Bible tracks this. And it says that, that this occurred in the second month on the 17th day of the month of his 600th year. On the same day, the fountains of the great deep burst open. So this wasn't just rain from the sky. This was the earth opening up and floodwaters coming out. Now, if, if you deal in the oil and gas industry, you know that the earth is filled with a lot of water. So there's the water table below us, and then deeper down, there's, there's, there's a lot of water as well. It says the floodgates were just opened, burst open. And the sky just poured forth. So it wasn't just 40 days from above, it was from below as well. On the very same day, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, in verse 13, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark, to Noah by twos, all of flesh in which was the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed it behind him. So Noah entered the ark, the animals entered the ark, and it says this was, it was over a seven-day period. So God gave a final seven days. And uh, uh, you know, this must have been quite a sight, all these animals moving in this direction. And it says people were just going about their normal lives. And it says that, that when they entered, God closed the door behind them. The doors were closed by God behind them. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark, so that it rose above the, the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed fifteen cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. All flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind. Of all that was on the dry land... And in all whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died. Thus he plotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky. And they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left, together with those that were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. This to me sounds like a legal document. He repeats it again and again and again. You ask lawyers, I remember the first time I was reading a patent that was written concerning my work. I said to the lawyers, you, you don't have to put this. You've already set it up here. Don't repeat yourself. Because when we write a technical article, we're trained not to repeat ourselves. You just 
concise, you say it. And the lawyer said, no, you have to say it multiple times. I said, why? It says it right here. They said, no, you say it multiple times because when it gets into a court of law, you, want, you don't want them to gloss over and to say, well, they really didn't mean that. You have to say it over and over again. What the Bible is telling us here, it really means. Everything on the earth was killed that was not in that ark. Everything. Everything that did not have the door closed behind them died. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, verse 38, it says, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. This is what it says. When Jesus returns, that's the Son of Man, it's going to be just like this. So will the coming, so, so, so will th- this be occurring in, in the same way. In the same way it's going to occur. If you look in Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, verse 25 It says something else about this door closing. It says, once the head of the house, and Jesus is giving the analogy now of what's going to happen in in the end times when he returns. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say, I do not know where you are from. Once that door shuts, it is shut. And this happens in people's lives. It happens certainly on the day that they die. The door is shut. That is it. You're not going to pray them out of anything that they've gotten into, in, 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 into after that point. The door is shut. Now, I'm going to use this as a stepping stone to talk about evangelism because when you think about this, God is the one who brought the animals into the ark. Do you think the animals said, no, no, I'm not going. I kind of like it here. You know, birds are like, what? go in that ark? Why? I can fly all around. I like it. No, God commands it, and these animals go in. God is sovereign. The animals are not. God commanded Noah to go into the ark, and they went into the ark. Had they not gone in, they would have perished. Had they not gone in, they certainly would have perished. And so it says that... that uh, uh, that God, in His sovereignty, they went in. I want to tell you a story about evangelism in this and the sovereignty of God, the way God works. So, many people think, oh, you know, you have the gift of evangelism. This is why things work out for you the way they do. I am here to testify that I do not have the gift of evangelism. I have other gifts, like a gift, but it's not evangelism. The put this in context, George Muller, George Muller in the 1800s had, a, had, a, uh, had an orphanage. And he never asked for any money for this orphanage, but he just prayed. He and the children in the orphanage would pray and God would supply. I mean, even to their last meal, they would have nothing left and then they would start praying and somebody would come and deliver all this food for the orphanage. And he says the reason that he started this orphanage is to show the world what can happen with a person who will pray and have faith in God who does not have the gift of faith. He himself said over and over again, I do not have the gift of faith. So I'm going to do something that's going to show the world what can be done 
through a person that just believes God. Believes in the Lord. So people that have gifts of evangelism, lots of people come. They just share a message and many people get saved. That has never been me. That has never been the testimony of my life. I have served the Lord for over 40 years. I've tried to walk with the Lord with many failings, but I've tried to walk with the Lord for over 40 years. Never in my life have I been very good at evangelism. Never in my life. Throughout most of those 40 years that I've shared my faith, I might see one, maybe on a good year, two people come to the Lord. So that is not, that is not the, the, the work of someone who has the gift of evangelism. I would really try. I would knock on doors all over. Even when I was in, in undergraduate, I knocked on the doors around my neighborhood. When I was a graduate student, I knocked on the door of every, every private residence in all the apartments around the university. Every one that there was, I knocked on those doors. I really tried in evangelism, and I'd see a couple people a, a year get saved. That's not the work of an evangelist. That's the work of a regular person. Now I want to tell you what has happened when I've really started trying to evangelize according to the way that great evangelists do it. I want to follow their pattern. So, who are great evangelists? One is a guy named Charles Spurgeon, who's called the Prince of Preachers. That guy was a preacher, and he was a great evangelist, and he lived in the middle 1800s, died around 1891, 1892, something like that. Many, many people came to the Lord. In fact, it is estimated that at the time of his death, so this is in the 1890s, by the time of his death, over 300 million of his sermons had been read, published and read. 300 million. You know, if you have a best-selling book today, I mean, very rarely will it reach 300 million. So, at the time of his death, so he is the best-read Christian author by far that has ever lived, other than maybe the, the, the folks that wrote the Bible itself. And there, the author was God. They were just... You know, uh, vessels in the hand of God in many ways. And, but in, in, in any case, I studied. So what did I do? I read books on evangelism written by Charles Spurgeon. It's called a, 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 what, one book, The Soul Winner. I read that book five times. I said, well, why isn't once enough? Because I couldn't get it one time. I read The Evangelistic Zeal of Charles Spurgeon by Stephen J. Lawson more than ten times. And I continued to read it more than ten times. I read books by, by George Whitfield. George Whitfield was responsible for the Great Awakening, awakening in the 1700s, both in England and in the, and in, in the colonies, in the, in the Americas. He traveled uh, eight times to the Americas from, from uh, uh, England, and that was a two-month journey each way back then. This guy would have crowds measured by Benjamin Franklin over 20,000 people, and he could be heard without, without a microphone. And Benjamin Franklin didn't believe it, so he went and he counted the people by estimating the number of people in the crowd by walking around the crowd, and he said, I could hear him the entire time I circled the crowd, and so this man could easily be heard by 30,000 because that was the claims coming from England. And he says it, it could happen. So I read over and over again how they did it. So you're, talk, you're looking at a person who does not have the gift of evangelism. 
And then I started praying the prayer because I had taken so many evangelistic classes, been with navigators, I've been with different campus ministries, and I would come out of those classes never any better at evangelizing than going in other than knowing a few little words of what to say and maybe how to lead a conversation. But I never saw much difference. It was still the one to two people a year that would come to know the Lord. How is it that God can take this Noah event and have masses of animals coming on in? He just gives the command and they come in. Animals don't want to come in. I mean, they want to run free. Go up in that, in that box over there. I mean, animals, he commands it and they go in. And Charles Spurgeon talks about it's the heart of the individual. Do you really want to see people saved? And then as I started analyzing my heart, I thought, no, not really. I'm a busy guy. I'm a busy guy. You know, if you're not going to come to the Lord quickly, you know, go somewhere else. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I don't have much time to, to do this. Where is my heart? And so I started praying from my own heart, according to Ezekiel 36, 26. It says, Lord, take out... Lord can take out a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Lord can take out the heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. So I started really praying this prayer. And then Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes fountains of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. You see the prophet weeping for the people. I said, Lord, give me that heart. Give me that heart that I would really start to care about people's hearts. So what I love about Charles Spurgeon's teaching in The Soul Winner, he's not giving you little techniques of what to use. You know, the Roman walk or this and that. And I still use the bridge illustration that was used on me for navigators. So I'm not against those things, but he's getting at the heart of the individual. What will give you success? It's the heart of the individual. And... and and this prayer of, of Rachel from Genesis chapter 30, verse 1, Give me children or I die. Lord, give me converts or I die. Praying this month after month. I would say now that 75% of the people that I sit with to present the gospel to them, they will end up praying the prayer of salvation. They will end up praying the prayer of salvation. Now, are they really saved? Only God knows. But I will get them, and I would say 90% of those people that pray that prayer, I can get them to commit to 13 weeks of a, of a Bible study going through this book, Growing with Christ, where it's reaffirmed and reaffirmed. So I've seen this tremendous success in the sense that in my life, where I'm seeing one a week coming to the Lord. And this is my prayer. Lord, give me one each week. Give me one each week. So for me, that's pretty good to go from one or two a year to at least one a week. And on the few occasions where I don't get one in a week, he gives me like five the next week. And I'm not sharing with a bunch of illiterate people that are looking for a way out. In almost every case, I'm either sharing with a college student or a graduate student or a young physician or professors. Usually, this is my, you know, this is my community. I don't get to see you know, people in poverty all the time. That's not where I live. I live around people like you. Understanding the sovereignty of God. There's divine sovereignty and there's human responsibility. And we need to understand both. The revelation to me in all of this was divine sovereignty. 
God calls the animals to get up into the ark and He shuts the door behind them. God calls people. In Acts, if you look in Acts, we'll go through a few verses now. Acts chapter 13, verse 48. I want you to see what is said here. Acts chapter 13, verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. God had appointed a certain number of people in that place at that time to believe. He appointed them, they believed, and they were saved. God is sovereign. Yes, there is human responsibility, but God is sovereign. God never asks you for your consent on whether you'd like to be saved or not. doesn't ask you. But He gets it. He gets your consent. On the day that He moves upon the heart, He gets your consent. He never asks you for it, but He gets it. Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read it, start reading from verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit of faith in the truth. It was for this He called you through our gospel so that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. You may say, well, you're preaching Calvinism. I'm preaching the Bible. Show me where it says Calvinism in what I've said. It doesn't say it. It says the Bible. You have a problem with this? Take it up with God. God is the one. He says he has chosen people from the beginning for salvation. This is divine sovereignty. This has given me much more power in sharing the gospel. Much more power. If you feel weak in sharing the gospel, hear me. Listen to me. This has strengthened me tremendously. Is understanding the sovereignty of God. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We're going to read from verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 16. Romans 9, verse 16. So then, it does not depend on the man who wills or on the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. I mean, this is sovereignty right there. He told the animals, just get in the ark, they have to go. It does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. You say, well, what about man's free will? Well, who's greater, man's free will or God's will? Tell me, who's greater? Men say they're going to do many things and then they drop dead and they never get it done. When God says, I'm going to do something, it has to happen. Remember, heaven and earth will split apart to make God's word happen. He gets the consent when he wants it. Divine sovereignty. Both are preached, both are taught in the Bible. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Both are taught in the Bible. Both are taught in the New Testament. We've got to deal with both of these. And we don't have to reconcile them. God has put it forth. We don't have to reconcile brothers that get along. They get along just fine. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Verse 44. Says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me. So it is not just about the will of man. 
There is God's sovereignty in this. No one can come to God unless the Father draws him. There's the sovereignty of God. God opens up the door for the ark. Boom, the animals come in. He shuts the door behind them and that's it. There is also, along with this, preserving grace. In addition to this sovereign grace, there is preserving grace. Look in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 27. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. This is the preserving grace, the grace of God that sustains us. Once we are in that ark, you know what He does? Boom! He shuts that door. You are protected. He shuts that door. You are protected. That is preserving grace. Because if it were up to me, I don't think I could take it. I don't think I would stand. But I can rest in the fact that my salvation is not in my hands, but it's in His hands. My salvation is in His hands. So, when I am speaking to people, as I am sharing the gospel with them, and I take them through just the bridge illustration, I say, this is how the gospel was presented to me. When I was 18, I I didn't come from a Christian home. Somebody shared the gospel with me. I'd like to tell you the story of what was shared with me, just as it was shared with me. And people say, okay. And then I begin to take them through the very same verses that were shared with me. And as I'm sharing with them, I'm saying to myself, in my own mind, as I'm sharing with them, in Luke chapter 13, verse 29, I'm quoting this to myself. Quoting the Scripture to myself as I'm sharing with them, showing them Scriptures. You say, how do you do that? You're quoting Scriptures to you? Yes, I do that. It says in verse 29 of Luke chapter 13, And they shall come from the east and from the west, from the north and the south, and they will sit at the table in the kingdom of God. They shall come. They shall come. And as I'm sharing with them, I'm saying, They shall come. They shall come. Lord, it's not up to me. You are not in heaven. God is not in heaven wringing His hands and saying, Oh, I, I, I hope they get saved today. God is able to make them go right on into the boat and shut the door behind them. And when I speak to them with that thought in mind, that God is able, that He is able to take His chosen ones and bring them right into the ark, you know what happens? They come. I was sharing with three three young physicians recently, and I didn't think I was getting anywhere. Didn't think I was getting anywhere. And so I have these verses... And, and I take people through the nice side of the gospel. You say, well, what's the bad side? Well, I can show you the bad side. I mean, I take them through the nice side of all the blessings that will come, of how we have to receive the Lord. Take them through the nice side of the gospel. Then I say, now, it's time to invite the Lord into your life, to open up your heart. And I understand many people can pray many things, and these things aren't deeply confirmed. They may say this, is it, is it confirmed? This is the seed, I say. 
when they pray this prayer, Lord, forgive me for my sins and come into my life. I believe Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. This is the seed. This is the seed. Is this thing going to grow? I commit that to the Lord. That's why I want him to get into this Bible study and begin to learn. But as I'm saying this, as I was saying this to these three young physicians, and remember, these are all educated people. These aren't illiterate people that, you know, somehow I've taken all my knowledge and just, you know, tied them up and just going to bring them in. I didn't think I was getting anywhere. And I say, now it's time to invite Jesus into your life. All three of them said, yes, yes, yes. I'm like, really? <laughs> and then we pray. This is what happens. A few weeks ago, I was, I was sitting at dinner with two physics professors. And one physics professor said to me, um, I read on the internet about, about uh, uh, your, your Christian faith. I said, so are you a Christian? She said, no. And then I turned to the other guy. I said, are you a Christian? He said, no. I said, do you mind if I tell you my story? And I told him my story. And I said, are you now ready to come into the kingdom of God? He said, yes. Yes? This is the amazing change. When I trust that God is sovereign, He does not ask them for their consent, but He gets it in the day of His salvation. The reason I'm sharing this with you is so that you don't have to go decades before you get it. Before you understand something about sovereign grace. The, this is written in the Word of God as Spurgeon says, as with an iron pen, the sovereignty of God in people's salvation. It is not just up to the individual. No, it is not. If it were up to the individual, nobody would be saved. Nobody. You think you can move yourself to start seeking God? No way. You're corrupt. You're evil. You're dead. There is nothing in you, nothing in me that can drive us toward the Lord. The thought, every thought of our hearts is only on evil continually. We've read in Genesis multiple times. And it's underscored again in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 that the heart of man is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That is our heart. There is nothing in and of ourselves that moves us to God. It is the Holy Spirit of God that comes upon a life and moves them to God. It is the Holy Spirit. I was sharing with a, a young Muslim girl recently. I'm thinking, oh, Muslims are tough. Man. But as I'm sharing with her, I'm remembering. They shall come. They shall come. You see God's proclamation? When God says, it shall happen, they shall come. They shall come. They shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and the south. I didn't even get to the hard part of the... You know, because if, if they don't come after the easy part, then I got a bunch of verses on my iPad and on my iPhone that I can take them through that are the scary verses that, that would scare anybody of what the fate that is going to be left to people whose name are, are not written in the book of life. The fate of the people that are, are, are destined, that have done these things. And then once I get done with that, I've had guys that, that, that have said on the easy part, no, I'm not ready. I get done with that second part, they say, I'm ready. I'm ready. And I learned from Spurgeon, you don't have to go there as long as the people understand that they're sinners. 
The people who do not come with the easy part, even though when I say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, when they don't understand that they're sinners after that, then you've got to take them through the harder part and show them what sin is. All liars shall not enter the kingdom of God. Who is free from that? Right? Who is free from that? You've ever told a lie? You're not getting into the kingdom of God, it says. Unless God, by the blood of Jesus Christ, has provided a way for you. This is what turned it all around for me in evangelism. You don't see this normal resistance from the animals. They come. God says it, and they come. And they come. And so to this point, I'm just telling you, 75% of the people that I sit with, and Spurgeon puts it this way, when you share the gospel, you do not give up. You persist, persist. So I had a guy, I shared with him, he didn't come. So I shared with him the hard part, he didn't come. And so I'm sitting with John, and I'm sitting with, uh, 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 with, with, uh, with, with an, another one of the Chinese students, and so this was a, this was a, a Chinese postdoc. And, uh, and so I said, you tell them your stories in Mandarin. I, I, want, I, want you to, I, I want you to hear their stories in Mandarin. So here's John's story. Then, then, uh, um, then he hears, hears another story. And after that second story, he looks at me and says, I'm ready. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that was easy. But Spurgeon puts it this way. You persist. And when you've given everything in yourself... In sharing the gospel, you know what you do? He says, when there's nothing left, all your ammunition is gone. What you do is you take yourself and you ram yourself into the barrel of that gun and you shoot yourself at them. You take every bit within you and you go after them again and again and again and again. You don't just say, oh, they said they didn't want it. Human will. That wins. That, that's, that's over everything. I think I'll go away. Okay, well... Die, go to hell. I'll go on to the next person. No, he says you go at them again and again and again. You throw your whole self into it. And when you do that, you watch them come. You start praying these prayers from Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Lord, get me to the point that I would weep for the lost. As Spurgeon says, it is not a routine. It is not sharing this verse and that verse and this. It is weeping for the lost. When your heart is converted, then you will see people converted. When your heart breaks for them, when you realize that they are dying and going to a Christless eternity, that's what begins to turn their hearts. That's what... That's the beginning of it. That was the first book that I read, The Soul Winner by Charles Spurgeon, when I realized that it's more about my heart than about any technique. That's why all these, these seminars on evangelism that I attended, they never really did anything. Nothing ever changed for me. So what you're looking at is not a man with the gift of evangelism. My gift lies somewhere else. This is what can happen with someone who doesn't have a gift. So if you don't have the gift of evangelism, this is for you. This is for you. Because God said, they shall come. This is why I ask you, 
If you want to see it done, if you have a friend who doesn't know the Lord, bring them here. Bring them here. Pay them to come here if you have to. And then pay them to come and have lunch at my house for free. All right? So that I can sit with them and share the gospel. And just watch me do it. Just watch me do it. Watch me in the verses I take them through. And then watch them come into the kingdom of God. You say, oh, this wouldn't happen. Try it. You try it. The Bible says they shall come from the east and the west and the north and the south and they shall sit at the table in the kingdom of God. They shall come. Bring them in. Is there anybody, anybody that you care about that is an unbeliever, that is going to perish and die a Christless eternity? Bring them to me. I will share with them. I will share with them. Because the Lord has begun to answer my prayer in breaking my heart for the lost. Where I can say, Lord, give me children or I die. And this is what I tell the Lord. I tell the Lord, Lord, I have, I've already accomplished enough. I've published enough papers. I really have. I've published like ten times more than most people have published in their careers. I've already done it. I've won all sorts of awards. I've... I've started all sorts of companies. Lord, what else is there? Lord, give me children or I die. If you will not give me souls, then take me. Because I'm quite content in going to be with the Lord now. My, my children are grown. They can take care of themselves. i got a life insurance policy. My wife will be taken care of. <laughs> give me children or I die. Lord, just take me. If you will not give me children... And you know what he does? He gives me children. He gives me children. I'm sharing this with you so you do not have to go decades before you start seeing ones enter the ark that you have built and then allowing God to shut the door. There is sovereign, sovereign grace. Sovereign grace. God is the one who does it. You, get, you let him get a hold of your heart. And that as you're sharing with them, you say, they shall come. They shall come. He's coming in. She's coming in. And that Muslim girl, I got done with the easy part. And I said, are you ready to invite Jesus into your heart? She said, yes. Just a Muslim. Yes. Why? Because God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God does this. Learn to enjoy the sovereign God and align with His Spirit that is sovereign. And then you take them through these few verses. Romans 6.23 Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death. Then you turn back to Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. I remember when, it was, when I was first being shared with, and the young man said to me, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and I read that verse from the Bible. And I looked at him, I said, I'm not a sinner. I never killed anyone, I never robbed a bank. How could I be a sinner? And then he had me read the verse out of Matthew 
where Jesus said, everyone who looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And boom, I realized I was a sinner. Once they realize that they're sinners, then you've got your opening. In Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the barrier right there. If you have never in your life said, Lord, I believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you, you need to question your own salvation. The Bible says here we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. This is not just a spiritual resurrection. In the end of Luke chapter, in the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus appeared to them and He said, See, my hands and my feet. See, I have flesh and bones. He said, Give me something to eat. And they gave Him a piece of fish and He ate it in front of them. He says, The Spirit doesn't eat. You see, I eat. In the end of, of John's Gospel, Thomas said, I will not believe unless I stick my hand, my finger into the hole in his hands and stick my hand into the hole in his side. Jesus appeared to him eight days later. And he said, Thomas, come, in, come here. Stick your fingers into the hole in my hand. Stick your hand into the hole in my side. And be not unbelieving, but believing. Jesus rose physically from the dead. That's the barrier. That's what it means to become a Christian. To confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He's risen from the dead And then you shall be saved. You shall be saved. There again is one of God's shalls. You shall be saved. It has to happen. Because God said it. You shall be saved. And the verse that brings people and breaks their heart more than any other verse is the one the pastor read today. According to Charles Spurgeon, the one that breaks their heart more than any other verse is this one, Isaiah 43:25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. When the sinner hears that I will not remember your sins, and when I'm sharing with people, I know I've got them. When I start sharing with them, And I read that verse and I watch their eyes. And when I see a tear in their eyes, I know they're ready. And I would say half the time I'm sharing with people, I read that verse, I see a tear in their eye. And I know I've got them. Because they understand that they're sinners and their sins will be remembered no more. And a tear's in their eye and they get saved. Bring it back to divine, this divine sovereignty. God is the one who brought the animals into the ark. Let Him bring them in, in your life. If you're not good at this, bring them here. Bring them here. Then bring them over my home for lunch. I will share with them. And you watch. And we'll get them saved. By the power of God and the power of His Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would take hold of your word. And even as the animals went into the ark at your command, you command people and they come. 
they shall come according to your word. This divine sovereignty. Father, I pray that these young people would remember this message. And if anybody here has never really embraced this fact that Jesus is Lord and that he has risen from the dead, Father, I pray that they would say this prayer today. Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. I believe it. I believe it. And he is Lord. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. In the name of Jesus. Amen.